Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Russell Clark, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebearers, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it is good news, and it is for you. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I've known Russell for a good number of years. Back in the 1990s, find myself saying that a lot, uh, he was uh, in the youth group where I was serving at the time, and so I've known him since he was a kid, literally. And when he preached here, I believe the first time I saw it on Facebook, and some of the things that he said really resonated with me, so I reached out and we had lunch, and he asked me to be here today, and so that's, that's how I'm here. I also need to say I'm not a reverend anymore. When I left ministry, I, it was kind of like a clean break. It's what we call surrendering our credentials, so I took my uh, certificates off the wall and literally sent them into the bishop's office. So no more rev uh, on that front. Also, along with Father's Day, I echo what has already been said about being thankful for those who maybe not have children of their own. And I know in my own journey, I had quite a few who stepped in the gap for me and were fathers and mentors to me. And so I am thankful for those. I became a father somewhat late in life, and one of the things I enjoyed the most, not the only thing, was I get to tell dad jokes. And I've kind of found my niche in that regard. So, in honor of Father's Day, the other day I saw a robbery at the Apple store. And I was called in for questioning because I was an eyewitness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you. I get the same response every time, pretty much. But Well, the scripture lesson today is Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Hear now these words from the Gospel of Luke. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collection station, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Also, right before. Just before I begin, I need to uh, say that my title was borrowed from a sermon I saw in a publication called The Christian Century, 
in 2007. They used a different scripture. Much of the gist of what I'm going to talk about today was the same, but I took that title and tweaked it, so that's where the title came from. Well, that clip from the Andy Griffith Show, and by the way, I, I full well know that that's a very old TV show, but it is on Netflix. That's a lighthearted look at what happens when people don't share the same table manners as you do. The Darling family, as you remember, they were hillbillies who would come down to Mayberry on occasion. And obviously they were a little rough around the edges, crude even, when it comes to etiquette at the table. And as we know, every family likely has their own traditions on how to behave at the table. In my household growing up, we had two rules that I remember. No singing, that was very rarely broken, and no laughing, often broken. As kids, it's hard not to laugh in pretty much any setting. In hindsight, these were strange rules, and in my now more sensible mindset, I think they were totally unnecessary. They probably came from the fact that my father was in the military. On the surface, these manners seem not so significant to our lives. Now, does it really matter whether we use the salad fork for our meal or if we accidentally drink out of our neighbor's water glass? We might think these things don't have ultimate, lasting, life-changing implications. Or do they? I think I know a little bit about what goes on at tables. I had the privilege of serving for seven years at the United Methodist Campus Ministry at Baylor and then another six years at the uh, Texas Wesleyan campus. And in both settings, I prepared and served many, many meals. At Baylor, we had three meals every week. On average, we served around 40 students. In one semester, I think we went up to around 60 as an average. Now, during these lunches, we had students from all over the world, different backgrounds, very diverse. And we had the opportunity to offer fellowship, discussion, laughter, debate, conversation, and of course, sharing food. And I noticed that often at the Latino, Latina table, also an occasional song and or dance would often break out. We never charged anything for the meals, which means that on a regular basis, we dispelled the myth, there's no th such thing as a free lunch. And with our Bible studies and discussion groups, we often found ourselves gathering around tables, eating and talking. The text from Luke I read is about one occasion where we find Jesus at a table. I think it's interesting to note that Levi invited Jesus to his house and shared a banquet. This is a common theme that we see throughout Luke's gospel. That is, Jesus was always about including and accepting the stranger, the marginalized, the neglected, the sinners of his day. And these encounters often took place at table. We know in Matthew's gospel, it's directed primarily toward a Jewish audience steeped with Jewish language and imagery. Luke, on the other hand, is directed toward a Gentile 
audience. Gentiles were considered outsiders by many. But it's a constant reminder of the inclusive nature of the gospel of Jesus. So often we find Jesus being at table with sinners, tax collectors, women, and others. And throughout the text, it is in these kinds of settings and in these kinds of activities that bring about most of his opposition and events that eventually led to his crucifixion. In the ancient world, maybe more so than now, we might take sitting down together at a table for a meal, we might take that for granted, but in the ancient world, it was very significant. Sharing a table then had a lot of meaning. It was always more than just eating together. It was sharing in the life of those around the table. This was something that was, I think, a part of the DNA of Jesus' ministry and who he was. A biblical scholar of another generation put it this way. In Judaism, table fellowship meant fellowship before God. For the eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shared in the meal brought out the fact that they have a share of the blessings which the host of the house had spoken over the unbroken bread. Thus, Jesus' meals with the publicans and sinners were not only events on a social level, not only an expression of an unusual humanity and social generosity and his sympathy with those who were despised, but it had an even deeper significance, the inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship was the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. That's a lot, but I believe that's what was taking place each time Jesus sat down at tables with those in his midst. To take this even a step further, anthropologists, people who study cultures and society and civilizations, they have called this ethic of being at table commensality. It means the rules of tabling and eating as miniature models for the rules of association and socialization. In other words, being at table basically establishes the rules of how people have gotten together throughout human history. It means that when we sit down together at table, that is to eat together, there's always something else going on. It's at table that several things are taking place, things like economics, the social peck, the social pecking orders, and even politics. If we think that table fellowship is not without its hidden meanings, I challenge you the next time you go to a restaurant, whether it's Taco Bell, just up the street, or a steakhouse, or a, a place of fine dining, next time you go, just, just look around in that restaurant and look who is in the kitchen, who's bussing tables, who's serving you food, and who are the customers. Or, if you want to take it maybe a different direction, look up sometimes what the average cost is to attend a political fundraising dinner. Trust me, it's not cheap. 
So eating together, being at table, has many, many different implications, even political. There's a book that talks about these kinds of things, The Anthropology of Eating, and the authors said this, In all societies, both simple and complex, eating is the primary way of initiating and maintaining human relationships. Once we know where, when, and with whom the food is eaten, just about everything else can be inferred about the relations among the society's members. To know what, where, how, when, and with whom people eat is to know the character of that society. And then yet another biblical scholar who studied the New Testament era from a historical standpoint, he took this anthropological term of commensality and related it to Jesus and called it open commensality. And in this story, as, as well as in many other stories in the Gospels, we find Jesus being at table, but without the normal boundaries of his day and time. And of course, we know he went against the conventions of his day and time that said you eat only with ones who met certain societal standards or with those who were appropriate or those who were righteous. So it's no surprise that when he was seen eating with, and we can make this list fairly long, drunkards, tax collectors, gluttons, women, and sinners, he was being equated with these people. When Jesus was at table, however, there were no boundaries, no limitations. Anyone who gathered at his table was treated like and seen as an equal. They were included into the realm of God's acceptance and grace. After the example of Jesus, some of the radical ethics of the first Christians were the ways they included and welcomed outsiders to the table. And you can even find different parts of 1 Corinthians where Paul is given instruction about the early Christian community in Corinth of how they're trying to sort through all these issues of people from many, many different backgrounds and what to do when they came together to eat. Of course, one place where we see all about these kinds of issues is right here at the communion table. Each time we celebrate Holy Communion, I believe we are reenacting God's open table fellowship as revealed in Christ. Now we know there are a lot of different metaphors for how we talk about communion, but the most profound and deep one for me is that communion is the open table of God's grace that welcomes and claims our lives. Not just members, not just Christians, but others are welcomed at this table of God's grace. I live in South Arlington, and some of you might know of this church just around the corner from me, literally less than a mile, the Welcome Table. That's the name of the church. I can't think of a more appropriate name for a church. Also gives them a lot to live up to. But the Welcome Table Disciples Church. 
And finally, one other quote from a professor at Vanderbilt Divinity School. He says that communion is a reminder of God's grace offered to all people when he said this, the Christ whom we meet at the communion table and in the liturgy of the church cannot be another Christ than the one we meet in the other person, the marginalized. Communion is no longer merely a mystical and private transaction between God and the church. Communion includes God's concern for all of creation, especially those who are needy, as we come together eating and drinking with them at the table. And a good thing, I think, to remember about our communion tables is how we invite others to partake. I grew up in a tradition that didn't allow non-Christians or non-members to partake of communion. And I was probably seven and eight years old at the time, but the pastor we had during a certain stretch, even though we couldn't take communion, and for us it was those little crackers and the little cups, but at the end of the service, he would invite children who were not yet baptized members to come up and partake. And sometimes it was kind of like a feeding frenzy, but years after the fact, I look back on that and I often wondered, was that the pastor's way of including children to the table? And if it was, then good on him. Another place we see this, I think, maybe stretching it a bit, is when churches gather for meals. What do we call them? Potluck dinners? I think they're always more than just bringing a casserole or a salad or about filling our bellies, even though it is that. I've never gone away hungry from a potluck dinner. It's also about sharing God's grace with each other at tables. And when I look back on my experiences in the church, not just growing up, but in serving, you learn so much about your members by sitting at table at those dinners. And that's not by accident. Well, this story in Luke's gospel, I think, is a reminder of what the ministry of Jesus really looked like. Perhaps more clearly than other settings, Jesus was found at table with the outcasts of his day. One of the things that it says to me is that a table is never just a piece of furniture. It's the place where God's grace is freely and openly given. The kitchen, to me, is not just a room. It's sacred space. I know when I was serving in campus ministry, I spent many hours preparing food, and for me it was sacred. In both of these places, the table and the kitchen, we find God's grace being prepared and shared in some very radical ways. And finally, I'm reminded of the words from a song by Casey Musgrave where she says, Because I ain't one to knock religion, though it's always knocking me, always running with the wrong crowd, right where I want to be. It seems that Jesus was always running with the wrong crowd, sharing meals at table, healing, going into their homes, 
sharing God's love and acceptance with sinners and tax collectors. He was always running with the wrong crowd. But as we come to know, it was right where he wanted to be. And I think it continues to be a call to us as the church to do the same, to have the same table manners of Jesus. If we did, I think we'd see more folks, yes, maybe even like the Darlings, coming to eat with us and sharing table fellowship and being accepted by us and thereby experiencing the radical welcome of God's grace at tables. And so may it be true for us today and across all our days together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.